Bear on Bears fans, another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast coming your way. Courtney Cronin joining us in a little bit of a different area. Courtney, you are in literally every 1980s basement ever, right? Like you're you're in a great spot right now. What's going on? So Tuesdays are, you know, they're, you know, we're not up at Hallis, but I'm on, um, you know, parent duty running some errands for my, for my dad today. And I'm at Mm -hmm. my mom's. So this is the basement. Um, This is the basement office. I actually love this spot because a lot of times when I have to do radio and I've got to come straight from Hallis and I've got my equipment with me, perfect halfway point to stop here instead of haul it down the Kennedy. Um, So I did that last week, but everybody always loves the wood paneling here. I think this house was built in the sixties and they've never changed. Like my, I mean, it's the basement. Like, you know, she, she never changed this room, but like, look at all this great sports memorabilia. I call it my sports junk. Um, as I was showing you, we've got the Cal Ripken 2,131 consecutive games played streak plate, That's commemorative so plate. Remember when people used to like have yeah. magazines and they would go in the magazine, cut out the little ads, send their credit card information in or write a check and get things like that. That's where that came from. Um, I actually have a signed photo that Harry Carey wrote to my signed for my brother back in like the early nineties. I don't know how this came to be. It was not, it's not meant for me. It's his, yeah. but it's pretty dope. Um, anybody want to play some Sega? I've got Madden 96. Oh, um, I've got my Glenview cool caps fall 1995 <laughs> Courtney Cronin soccer trophy. Okay. Pretty dope. Um, big winners out here. Joe Girardi signed this cubby bear for me at a jewel once. This was, um, I remember like we went, it was a meet and greet thing. Like you hear about it on the radio, go, go see Joe Girardi. And I don't know, like what Kevin Tappany is like, they're signing, right. signing bear, uh, Cubs junk. So he signed this for me. And then obviously his career went on as a manager. So I think it's still pretty cool to hold on to that. I like that. Yeah. And then look at the cup I'm drinking out of in ode to last night and oh to honestly the last like five game stretch for the chicago bulls hey, How dope that is. the I old logo that. and everything i love that that was such an era of that we got to talk about the cup here because that was in every chicago sports fans house There's a, was there was a era. set of four of them we, my yes. mom drinks out of the bears one um it's got the old like helmet logo, which I don't know like when they ever would have used that as far as like their branding because they've always had the Chicago C. And right. now this year, like the big deal was that they switched to the bear head. Um, but it was the there's a Blackhawks one, the Bulls one. I don't know if we had a, I can't remember like a White Sox and Cubs one. I remember there was a Chicago Wolves one, the yep. you know, the minor league hockey team, and then of course the the Bears and the and the Bulls one. But yeah, I I that saw is, this as I was like, I was like, I got to get some water. So I like well, pulled up to open the cabinet. I'm like, Pat's going to love this. Um, <laughs> look how classic that is. And that honestly, is so to, classic. you know, a game last night that they nearly won. Like I'm not about moral victories, but to go on the road, to force overtime against Milwaukee, to be playing a lot better without Zach Levine. Like, I mean, that's let's tough. Tough. call it what, call it what it is. Like, and I mean, Damar, Kobe's playing great. I know it's yeah. the Bears podcast, but we could talk like 50 minutes on the Bulls. Um, Kobe's playing great. Damar's fighting his ass off. Like, they're a 100%. fun team. Like, I, after Friday's game, they win four straight. Like, I just got a little overzealous. I don't know, like, what came over me. I texted my brother. I'm like, yo, the Bulls are in Milwaukee on Monday. You want to go? He's like, no, we're not going to <laughs> Milwaukee on Monday for the Bulls game. And I had to work last night. So, like, I would have, you know, I, I wasn't thinking clearly. Yeah. Um, I was so blinded by a four-game win streak. Maybe some Bears fans feel the same way with, I don't know if you can call it two-game back-to-back wins a, a streak. It's two wins in I a think row. You can. But I think you can. Since it hasn't happened since 2021, You've got Bears fans now puffing their chest out high and mighty thinking, okay, build upon this. Maybe the playoff talk, you know, you're in the hunt now, like you're five and eight. Maybe the playoff talk somehow, some way becomes something. I know there's less than a 4% chance right now for the Bears to get into the postseason, but December's a weird month. The Packers lost last night. The Dolphins lost last night. So you're saying there's so a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. I see. Here's here's the thing, right? And I think that's where Bears fans are right now. We were we spent so much time here living in this one. Don't. Oh. Don't oh, what? 
Don't give me hope. Don't give me hope. We spent so much time living in please don't give me hope. And now it's like, so you're saying there's a chance? Hold on now. And I think even to, listen, Bears fans, we don't get to do this often. Puff your chest out. You beat the class of your division, and you should have beat them the first time. There's something there where now you can go look at your Lions fans, friends at work or whatever it is, and say, you know, you guys know you got lucky the first time, right? You were the ones that came out of this uh, barely getting away from it. And that's a 4% chance. We had less than a 1% chance to lose. Maybe the tides are turning. <laughs> it's interesting because you're right. Like the, the Lions are the class or they were the class of the NFC North. I think they yeah. still are. There's such a separation that they've created by winning all those early games between themselves, the, then the Packers, Vikings, and Bears. But... All of that said, there's a lot of holes in that playoff resume. You're not going to win a lot of games if Jared Goff's putting the ball on the ground, if he's fumbling away and then the and then the opponent's able to score right away off that and make it a 12-point game. Like yeah. What the Bears did on Sunday as a measuring stick sort of game and what they can do this next Sunday against the number one defense in the NFL in Cleveland Yeah. That's growth. That's how they measure what their decisions are going to lead them to down the line because they're building towards something. And that's what they've been preaching. And when you can finally see the payoff now as a front office, as a coaching staff, you're making decisions in the month of December that aren't just, okay, let's, you know, make these decisions with 2024 in mind, making the decisions with 2023 in mind to speak. You already have the number one pick all but locked up at this point because of where Carolina is. And they have a two game, you know, two game margin between themselves and the two teams in Arizona and new England that are vying for the number two overall pick. Yeah. Like there's a comfortable scenario here where they can, you know, compete for now, like try to win now, try to like, you know, try to keep jobs, try to keep, you know, find out who's going to be on this team and who's not going to be on it next year, but also proving that the, what they're building on is going to be sustainable and the carryover effect for next year, especially when it comes to the defense and the pass rush and the players that you have here that you anticipate being part of this group in 2024, just then. So you head into the off season, no matter when that is to know, okay, we have this much work to do. We've already accomplished these things. So then you're not having to like start hitting that checklist in yeah. 2024 and have some of those items already taken care of. Yeah, and I think here's the thing, right? Can the Bears continue to check things off the checklist that most of us came into the season talking about as, as far as having expectations, right? We asked for the in-the-hunt uh, uh, graphic. We're in it. It feels wrong, right? Five and eight, but it feels wrong. But guess what, right? There's some teams that are five and eight this year that we said wouldn't be five and eight, that wouldn't be on the in the hunt graphic. They'd be in the playoffs already. Um, I think at the same time, can you finish out this year? Like we said, can you be what the Lions were last season? And mm -hmm. I think that that is a real opportunity to hear that you're, to me, your toughest opponent that you're going to face is this week coming up. I don't know, offensively, Joe Flacco, right? Like, the Renaissance, my goodness, I, I what like he did on Sunday, 311 yeah. passing yards and three touchdowns. I know he threw a pick in there, too, but but it feels like he's going to come back to earth, right? Like it's Joe Flacco. <laughs> he's 38 years old. He, you know, from from the cat, what it was the thing that the uh, Giants player said on Sunday Night Football from like the couch into the lineup, more or yeah. less like that's what that's what it is for uh, Joe Flacco. But hell, like. They, you know, for a team that they've got playoff hopes right now with the way that the AFC North is shaking out 100%. and the fact that they're an eight and five team, they can't take the Bears lightly. And I don't think anybody wants to face this Bears defense right now with how well they've been playing yeah. the last couple of weeks. And, you know, going against Joe Flacco, every single coach I guarantee on this staff has seen him at some point or another in his 100%. career because he's been playing for more than a decade. So yeah. it's, it gives them an opportunity to really like test the strength of this team because you do then have some opponents that do feel more feasible in terms of like where they are and where yeah. the Bears are, Arizona, Atlanta. And like, we'll see. I mean, the Packers go and play the Saints this weekend. The fourth quarter was an abject failure for them yesterday, starting with that missed field goal. And then some of the coaching decisions that they made, like I was – you know, baffled that the, that they let Tommy DeVito lead a two-minute drive to set up a game-winning field goal. But 
I said this on radio last night. If you look at Tommy DeVito's stat line, what did he throw for? 158 yards and yeah. a touchdown. Yeah. Um, that's a Justin Fields stat line from earlier this season. It really is. A, 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 you know, contributing also. I think he ran in a touchdown and he had, or no, he he scrambled for over like 50 something yards. Saquon Barkley had two rushing touchdowns, but nonetheless, like that's a team that finds itself in a similar situation, identical record to the Chicago bears and the green Bay Packers let that team beat them. So who knows yep. what that means for week 18 and whether they will be a vulnerable team or whether they will be a team that's on the cusp of the playoffs. Cause that sets up a matchup where that could be winning in for green Bay. And if the well, bears like yeah. the lions, you brought up the point of the lions, what they do in week 18, they spoiled it. Like, even though, they were technically, you know, the whole Sunday night game didn't matter because of the score of that Seahawks Rams game. Detroit went into Green Bay and handled their business. Like yeah. these, they were mathematically eliminated. They made sure the Packers were not going to get a chance to go to the playoffs. Even if the Bears aren't in line for any sort of postseason hopes that are now starting to bubble up, to play spoiler would be, I think, a, you know, in terms of the people in this franchise who make decisions, that would be a monumental deal to 100%. what the season would mean at the end and i think what's a what's an interesting scenario now is you kind of saw last night i love the fact that you mentioned right danny devito using his legs and different things like that i that kind of broke i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> don't worry i've done it like 10 times already it's just it's too easy and actually <laughs> we've played into wow look this guy's from jersey and he's yeah. got an italian background and his parents are handing out chicken cutlets in the parking lot of stadium like lean in a little bit more it's like the most it's the easiest storyline we so often try to like dig deep and find out who people really are and these complex nah. characters like italian guy from jersey playing for the hometown team yeah doing the paisan hand oh like, yeah you know I... the rights itself I love it. But you you point out, right, Tommy DeVito going out there and using his legs. That kind of broke the Packers' defense a little bit. They mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. That's a very similar situation to what we saw with how Lamar Jackson and uh, there's, there's one more I can't think of earlier in the year. Uh, uh, um, is it Geno Smith, I think? How they used their legs kind of to yeah, mess up right. yeah. the Lions game plan, right? And then all of a sudden you go into Detroit and you're like, but well, we've got a blueprint for how to beat these guys already. That might be something that's in place now for the Chicago Bears if you can get to a Week 18. To me, if you can find a way to beat this Cleveland team, you'll be riding on such a high mm -hmm. that I think that this team will have actually mentally turned a corner because in a lot of those games earlier in the season, a lot of the games we lose, it felt like the team was like, here we go again. Yeah. Here comes another gut punch. It's cut. We're up two touchdowns. Doesn't matter here. This comes again. Now I think over the last couple of weeks, we've expected the gut punch. The gut punch doesn't come. Your quarterback puts you in a position to win both of these games. Your defense closes the door in both of these games. Now I think we're starting to see some confidence build. That's really good going into games where you've got Atlanta coming to Chicago, Arizona, I believe, coming to Chicago as well. They're not going to like the weather that is here. Now, it, it's a weird day-to-day, -day, right? A little bit warmer. But, like, when you come from a hot-weather climate, it's cold if it's 40 degrees outside. Yeah. And so it's going to be freezing for those teams. I say the Bears have a ton of the advantage finishing out this schedule, and it may come down to that Finals-Packers game. Yeah, and that's like to your point of, you know, did the Giants give the Bears a blueprint last night, especially for that fourth quarter? When you think about the zone read and how effective the Giants were last night with that play yeah. versus the Green Bay Packers, like I found this stat that I just felt it was mind boggling. So 29 instances of a team that have that has run 10 zone read plays in a game this season. The Bears were one of those teams that we saw in Detroit week 11. The Packers faced that last night with the New York Giants. The Giants averaged 11.3 yards per zone read Monday. That's wild. And so if you think about the way that they're playing the run and what they're expecting from the quarterback and how, you know, how it might look different. Because remember, we didn't see those plays early on with Justin Fields week one when they faced the Green Bay Packers at home. Maybe that makes that game look like a completely different blueprint um, that they received from other teams to see that that's an area where they can attack a, a vulnerable Green Bay defense in those moments. Yeah, we'll see what it ends up being. Where If you had to put a percentage on it, right, a little bit of confidence in uh, the Bears finishing out this season 
win her, her uh, uh, on a winning streak going going the rest of the way? Where's your confidence level right now? I'm not as optimistic, um, like big picture wise. I think they can beat an Arizona team for sure. I think they yeah. can beat Atlanta, but you know this this game this weekend is a really tough test, and we know how how different this this defense that they're going to face is compared to the defense that has been regressing in Detroit. Yeah. Obviously, the Vikings play a very different style of defense than um, than what the Bears saw, you know, coming off the bye, but. You're going to get the mix of those blitzes and of like the traditional, you know, four down, you know, four down lineman pressure from this Cleveland team. And that's going to be that's going to be tough. You remember Justin Fields first game at Cleveland, he got sacked nine times and you're it's a different team from that point. It's, you know, certainly a different Bears team from that point. But health factoring in here they're a healthy offense and you don't know how healthy they came out of that game we'll find out tomorrow when we're up at Hallis. but i don't i think it'll be close i don't think that they're going to to beat cleveland but if you can keep that close if you can get you know two wins there down the stretch uh whether it's you know those two i mentioned arizona and uh atlanta or maybe if you can play green bay and you can spoil spoil their season i think it's going to end up coming down to Green Bay is going to be in line for the postseason because their schedule is really easy. It's more so just a factor of, you know, what their next four weeks look like. They've got the Bucks at home. They've got the Panthers on New Year's Eve. They've got the Vikings, uh, New or uh, Christmas Eve, Panthers, yeah. New Year's Eve, Vikings, and they've got the Bears. I think a more realistic scenario is that the Bears go into Lambeau for that game and it ends up being similar situation to what it was last year during the week 18 game where the lions played spoiler. Yeah. It, and the one thing that I say that uh, somebody commented this in my, uh, in my chat over on the windy city breeze last night during our daily show, when we were, you know, talking about kind of how realistic it is that the bears are going to win out. Some teams just have your number. You mm-hmm. hope that it's not the Packers this year, right? They win the first game gut punch. We were sick of it. Now we got to try and win out this last game. But the Browns have been a team that no matter what the Bears throw at them, have had the Bears number and at least mm-hmm. keep the games competitive, right? And especially with Miles Garrett in the building, you know what he's going to do. I think this offensive line is going to be in for a long day. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> after like, what we saw Sunday versus Aiden Hutchinson, where basically he was like, all right, just go through and pick the linemen you feel are weakest. You see him destroy Nate Davis. You see him destroy Braxton Jones on the outside. He kills Tevin Jenkins mm-hmm. a couple of times, right? Miles Garrett's going to do the same thing. And Miles Garrett is a 10 times better pass rusher than Aiden Hutchinson is right now. So I think that they're going to have to figure out some ways to do things differently. And it's going to be a dogfight no matter what. I, I get it. Flacco's on the other side. But the Browns have been a team that have just been able to scheme very well and play very well against what the Bears have been able to do. And now they also hold the number one defense in the NFL. A lot of times, Bears fans, we know this. A number one defense with a subpar quarterback, defense oftentimes makes that game very, very difficult to win. Yeah, and you take a look at what, how much better their defense has been at home, how much better Cleveland as a whole has yeah. played at home, but like that group in specific has had a lot of issues playing on the road. Those issues, for some reason, seem to go away when they're at First Energy Stadium. And the first thing they did, knowing that Trevor Lawrence was playing, mind you, but the first thing they did was take away the rushing attack. So you've forced Trevor Lawrence to like beat you with his arm. And he came close. I, I was shocked that he played in this game. But you know, to throw for 257 yards, three touchdowns, but also you know that he's less mobile, so that's not buying him as much time to make, you know, for receivers to get open to make plays. He threw three interceptions. Yeah. Justin Fields is healthy. So that escapability, what Matt Eberflus was talking about, how the they've measured growth with him, that he's waiting for receivers to get open, scanning downfield before taking off versus like the vice versa of that, what he was doing before. Um Maybe that helps the Bears move the move the ball on offense in ways that the you know a hobbled quarterback and a run game that was ineffective. I believe they had like just under sixty yards total. Yeah. Like then the, that'll look different in that way. But like that's something that the Bears have to be like really, really like aware of against this defense. And you've got Miles Garrett not at one hundred percent full health right now. He's still dealing with I think that um, that shoulder injury. Um, Denzel Ward, Juan Thornhill, like they weren't playing yet. And they still, this is a defense that sacked Lawrence four times, 
four takeaways, um, and they came away with dubs. So, like, you know, two of their final four games are at home. So they're banking on that to be able to help them get, you know, nine, ten wins to be able to lock up, you know, the, you know, the wild card spot because the Ravens are so far ahead of everybody yeah, else yeah, in the yeah. AFC. But that's a big challenge for what the Bears are going to present offensively because if they can't get that ground game going, and, and I mean, I know what the numbers said about Sunday's rushing attack, and they used all three running backs. To me, it, like, it didn't feel very effective. It really didn't. Like I know that Deontay Foreman had a couple good runs, but it just no. didn't feel like as potent of a rushing attack as they've had before. They've got to find ways to like punch a few of those through on the ground that don't just rely on Justin Fields, um, no. you know, on an eleven-yard scramble. I mean, it's great if he can get that, but like he shouldn't have to carry the load there as well. I think there also has to be a commitment, though, and that's that's the part that I think if if we're gonna, you know, nitpick at kind of the second half of Luke Getzey or even the first half with Luke Getzey, right? Like Deontay Foreman ran the ball five times in the first quarter. I believe in the second quarter he rushed it once. Yeah, they Five were. I times mean, in the first quarter, he was actually effective. He was actually moving the chains, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of it was on that first drive. Yeah, and and that's and that's the point, right? Like a ton of it on the first drive. You really don't see him get involved again, kind of until the Bears are trying to close things out at the end of the game. And to me, you know, it's just not a way to. That's not a way to keep your running back engaged in the game. That's not a way to keep the running game as a real threat in the game. And I get it. You want to run some of those things with Justin Fields where you're getting the designed runs in there and stuff like that, uh, even though most of them were pretty much instantly sniffed out. Um, but for me, right, like I, I don't want to see a game plan where my quarterback is running the football more than my three running backs combined are. Yeah. If Deontay Foreman doesn't have it, have it going that day, let's get Roshan Johnson the ball. If he doesn't have it going that day, Let's get Khalil Herbert the ball, but don't just abandon the run. And I feel like that's what we saw versus the Lions. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Because like you look at the total like net rushing yards, 142, you think, okay, like they had a pretty productive day on the ground. You see the stats at the end. You know, DJ Moore had a rushing touchdown. I don't know yeah. if he's going to be used as a running back all that often, but um it worked Please, on God, no. it worked on that one play. That's now a scouted look that teams are gonna have to somehow prepare for with like yeah. the you know, the trick play there. But, you know, with him and Justin Fields taking on like a bulk of the production in terms of what actually generated, you know, points for the Bears with the run game, that's not great. But I looked at the splits like right after because I was curious because we know Deontay Foreman has become he's a he's a more powerful runner than any of the other running backs that they have. And, yeah. you know, it's very clear that he's played his way into what at least appears to be a lead back role within this offense and 37 snaps for him. 18 for Roshan Johnson, 11 for Khalil Herbert. Like, I wouldn't hate, if I was a Bears fan, I wouldn't hate if this is how, like, if this is how the splits work their way out. Like, it's nothing right. that Herbert's done wrong, but very clearly, it's, they, they view it as an upgrade going with, with Deontay Foreman, who is this three down back, at least it like presents himself in that in more ways than the other two do it. Like, Roshan's getting there, but there's still, I mean, yeah. you know, the, I believe it was the third and eight play like the one where like he you know there's a free rusher alex ansel is either alex anzalone or no it's the guy with the hyphenated name it, it escapes me right now but when the free rusher came through in sack fields that was his first sack there was a spot where it looked like roshan johnson got confused on what his pickup was supposed to be and that's what led to the free rusher getting jalen reeves maven yes and um it's you know I think that they're figuring out that this thing has been fluid for a long time and they do yeah. want to ride with the hot hand, but right now their best chance to do that is to to stick with Deontay Foreman, but also to be consistent with him. Because you're right. Yeah. Like it's like they were they were giving him a pretty consistent load in the first in the first drive, in the first half, the first quarter. And then all of a sudden it like changed and it was like such a you know, a pendulum swing. Like one one quarter it would go this way, the other it'd be in the other direction. And that's yeah. just it felt like it was not the like they just couldn't get into a consistent rhythm, uh, you know, with the run game that way. Yeah, and and it's it's so funny because I, I keep saying right, I feel like we see things on the tape, we see things that work for this team, and it's almost like Luke Getzey like rediscovers it every week. It's like he it's like he's like oh snap, I gave the ball to Deontay Foreman in the fourth quarter and he ran for six yards. That's a novel idea. Why don't I give him the football again? 
You know, like it's almost like he rediscovers something every week that it feels like some that we've already known, right? The first half, you know, Justin Fields dropping back. The offensive line protection wasn't great yet uh, mm-hmm. one Sunday. So I think that plays a ton into it as well. But, you know, he, he I mean, 16 dropbacks in the in the first half in total. You're not pushing the ball downfield enough to me in that situation. Second half, he lets it rip 15 for 25 times, and all of a sudden we're sitting here like, man, Justin Fields can really throw the football downfield. Yeah, I feel like that's the consistent theme with Lou Getzey, and that's the part for me where, you know, I've still got a ton of question marks on him. And just, again, we I keep saying this. If we were looking at Justin Fields and his inconsistencies, we also have to look at Lou Getzey and his inconsistencies. The first half offensive game plan, was very inconsistent. The second half offensive game plan looked like the thing you should have been running the entire game. I have to do at the end of like when at the end of each game, we do like really quick takeaways and we have to like, you know, kind of like what's the biggest question that comes out of this game going forward, a stock up and a stock down. Like, I had to put Luke Getze in my stock down, but I did it as a caveat like that, you know, you redeemed yourself in the second half because what did Justin Fields say before Thanksgiving that game where he's like, I like, or maybe it was even, maybe it was, no, it was before the, it was before, it was before Thanksgiving because it was before the Vikings game when he talked about, I think I'm a great deep ball thrower. It's one of my strengths. Well, you saw how productive he was pushing the ball down the field, not just for that touchdown to DJ Moore when they get the free play, which traveled 32 air yards downfield, which was his second longest pass of the season, but through three quarters Sunday, really, if you just take away like that blip on a, of the, on the radar in the second quarter, he was four or seven for 108 yards in a touchdown on throws that were 11 or more yards downfield before that. 11 of 18 for 94 yards on throws 10 or fewer yards downfield. That was what they schemed to in the second half and what helped them. I mean, that throw to to DJ on the sideline, the anticipation throw to Cole Komet, like both of those back-to-back really opened things up offensively and got the Bears out of a rut. But what happened in the first half was that you had a great, when you were on script, you had a great drive, led to a touchdown, and then it felt like the wheels kind of came off here. How can they prevent that from happening? Because the inconsistencies, you're right, of Justin Fields need to be looked at in correlation of the inconsistencies with the offensive play calling. I, I don't, I I don't typically like, you know, scroll through mentions or anything during um, a game. Like I'll wait till afterwards to see, but like, just even like just general Twitter to seeing people like just not at all happy with the play calling in the first half. And then like, lo and behold, a miraculous change in the second half where anyone's like, man, that's how you do it. That's how you get Justin Fields. Like, you know, get him on the move, but also let him step up and make these throws, you know, these deep ball throws. Like if you can go to that a little earlier and, and maybe that, you know, when, when we hear from Getsy on Thursday, we'll find out that there were things that they saw um, in that second quarter that prevented them from doing that. But, how effective they were offensively once that element of the game plan was able to to come to light is the reason that they won this game because they took every chance that they had once they got the ball at the 50 with the free play and the in the you know considerable deep ball 32 yard 32 air yard pass yeah. i think it was like actually a 38 yard touchdown is what it went down as for for DJ Moore yeah. but um you know all of those things in conjunction with like what Fields did in the first half of how like balanced they seemed on that first drive. Like that's what Luke Getzey's got to do here in this game plan against an even more difficult defense than what they faced against. And I'm not saying that they're that Detroit's like that difficult now because they've clearly like regressed, but you know, that was a defense that was one of, you know, that at least the top know, 10 defense. Yeah. Like it's just, but now it's going to get even harder for this yep. team as they, you know, go to Cleveland where, you know, the Browns defense plays that much better. This is this is the part that I love, right? This is my favorite part of the week when we get here because this is the part where all of a sudden when the Bears beat somebody, it's like, well, are they a good defense? Right? Like, I, I remember, like, looking at Washington going into that game and everybody's just like, that front four is going to kill them. They're mm-hmm. going to create so much pressure. There's going to be takeaways, turnovers left and right. And then after the game, it's just like, yeah, I don't think Washington is that good of a defense. They might need to blow that thing up. It's like the Bears, the Bears are team killers. That, that is the one thing that I can say. When you get beat by the Bears, everybody instantly looks at their team and goes, maybe it's time to blow it up. I don't know. Uh, I don't I don't like this, right? Like all of a sudden, the, the conversation today, I believe, was on Pat McAfee was is this the same old Lions? And I was like, Yeah, through through uh, uh being down in pretty much everything but 
four minutes versus the Chicago Bears will do that to you. So it's interesting. It's very interesting to see. And, and you know, even looking at Luke Getze's game plan and, and talking about that, like the the Bears do the Bears do at times, they they do simple difficult. And I know that sounds weird, but like the fourth and one play, and, and, and Lance talked about it yesterday where, yeah, you shouldn't let that kill momentum. The defense shouldn't be affected by that. You should be able to forget that. I get what they should be able to do. Mm-hmm. And when you have two Hall of Fame linebackers and a Hall of Fame cornerback and, you know, you've got great bodies on that front line and Tommy Harris, and maybe you can do that. We don't got that yet. <laughs> that fourth and one play to DJ Moore. Yeah. Took the life out of this team. And you have a six foot four, 230 Five. pound quarterback that you could have tried to run for a yard up the middle, which you tried to run them the entire day. Now's the time you want to take away. And you have a six foot tall, 220 pound, 215 pound, whatever he is, running back back there that you could have handed the football off and said, just leap over the top. He's trying to jump everybody anyway. I don't know what that is every week. Like, I just, you do simple, difficult, and you get bad results. And that play specifically, I remember asking Eberflus about that after the game. Like, this is the one instance that we've seen this season where something that sucked the life out of the team at that point, they go into halftime, it's a 13-0 lead for Detroit. It's like, all right, how are they going to bounce back from this? Yeah, We hadn't seen them in previous weeks, like, I don't know if they would have been able to come back from that if they were the team from a couple weeks ago, if they didn't have some of those experiences that they had to work through to get to this point. And that that wouldn't have been like the momentum killer for this team of like, because it was in the first half, that was the pinpoint. You can like circle that point and be like, yeah, the weird pitch play to DJ Moore on fourth and one, which Eberflus post game, like he said that, you know, they liked the design there. Um, but like he also pointed to, we've got to do a better job on defense, you know, coming off of that. Yeah. From like, and, and I get it. Like that's his unit. He wants to be responsible for that unit. He wants to put the trust on his unit. And if that does happen, if they do get a stop, if it is a turnover and downs, you got to be better in those moments. But, um, you know, I thought that like, I just I felt that they like turned the corner there in a way that we hadn't seen them do at other points of the season where that fourth and one wasn't the dagger that carried them into, you know, it was a sluggish effect in in the third quarter. And then they were like somehow got momentum back in the fourth quarter, but like either ran out of time to do it or like lost that momentum the way that they did in Detroit. But I was really impressed, like to see how they were able to overcome from that. But you're right. They looked like the, and I know that I, I asked DJ about this. I know that Justin talked about it after the game. Flus talked about it. They like the design. I get it. They think that Detroit played it really well. That's sh- they were aligned for a QB sneak. And I know that there was something DJ mentioned that there was something like it wasn't blocked up properly. I think something was going on there with yeah. Patrick. He might have like I think he exited the game briefly um, at some point in the first half. I, I but I think he's fine. Um, they didn't block that play up correctly, but they, you know, did they see something at the last minute to, you know, realize, okay, we can't QB sneak it here. Like it was the most obvious situation to do that given where they were on their side of the field. And it just felt like, okay, don't reinvent the wheel when it's so obvious that you can go ahead and and get a net positive out of this play instead of trying to make it too complicated and too complex. And I think here's the thing, right? Even if the QB sneak doesn't work or running foreman up the middle doesn't work, right? Like those are plays that you look at and you go, even if it doesn't work, I like the aggressiveness in that situation. I like you going for it on fourth and one. I would have been mad if you didn't go for it in that situation. Even if that DJ Moore play works, we come out of that going, what the heck was that? Why do you have DJ Moore running that play? I feel the same way. Like, to me, it's like they're trying to do these uh, things that, not to say nobody's done them, but right, that are going to catch people off guard. Mm -hmm. You know what's caught no one off guard this season? Cole Komet running under center for whatever that fake tush push is that we do. And then he goes in, tries it. Like, it's a stupid play no matter how you run it. Even if it's successful, it's a stupid play. And I think that's the part for me where it's like, okay, there's sometimes where you get, right, like Flus always says, if it works, it's a great call. No, if that works, that's still a stupid call. It just worked. 
and it's it's you know some of it it did feel like to your point of trying to like outsmart the other team yeah they got confident by doing that on the dj Moore fake end around to justin yeah. fields and him you know he's got he can turn on the jets and he can beat anybody yeah they got confident Great there it felt like maybe they were feeling yes maybe they were feeling their oats a little bit too much in the second quarter on that play where it's like okay let's 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 whip him out as a running back again. Let's line him up in the backfield. He can use his speed to get, you know, the yard that you need to convert. And, you know, I just, I, I, I and then of course, like the third one, like after that's like, all right, no more DJ Moore like lined up in the backfield, especially when he got dinged up on that. And you're yeah. wondering, oh crap, is he going to, you know, he said he had to go to the sideline for a minute because somebody like he felt his ankle get twisted up, but like, I just, some of that stuff, it's like, don't try to play 4D chess when, what you were doing and what, you know, traditionally this team last couple of weeks has been able to done, been able to do was, was good enough to, to yeah. you know, stay competitive in games. And I think, right, when you look at it, and uh, by the way, we do want to let you guys know that uh, today's episode is brought to you by the Hard Rock Casino Northern Indiana. Enjoy free live music every Friday and Saturday night at Hard Rock Cafe Stages. Um, the one thing that, that, I look at on this team because on the offensive side, I think a lot of Bears fans still feel like, all right, it looked good. Can we see this again? Can mm-hmm. we see more? The one thing that Bears fans can absolutely place their confidence in is that this defense is legit. Yeah. This defense is not a fluke. It's not, oh, we're just playing uh, uh, teams that are having down weeks here. You held the Detroit Lions, who I'm in Ross St. Brown. Jared Goff, there's top ten off, top five off, top, top five, five offense top in the NFL to one pass play over twenty yards. Now maybe the win played into that a little bit as well, but you weren't allowing Jared Goff to stand back there and be comfortable in the pocket. You were allow, you weren't allowing Jared Goff to take his time and go through his reads. You were rushing him forcing him the sweat effect is absolutely real i gotta get that sound on my soundboard from like cap and hood which is like sweat you know what i mean like that effect is absolutely real mm-hmm. and this is a completely different defense that even going into cleveland next week where you got those bubbly feelings on like okay can we beat cleveland's defense i think cleveland's asking the same question on can we beat the bears defense with joe flock sure. Sure. No, I mean, it's a great point. And I wrote a story today. It's kind of like a cumulative effect of all these loss or all these wins, you know, starting with all the losses, but all yeah. these wins now, five of the last nine, what that does for Matt Eberflus, because it does complicate matters. Like, again, this is like the Justin Fields conversation of if they fall off, if he fell off a cliff, the decision to move on from him in 2024 is an easy one to slam dunk. Eberflus' defense is playing lights out right now. I mean, you take a look at some of the numbers that, you know, this defense has generated, not just like the pass rush, not just the takeaways, but like, you know, how many sacks they've had since week nine versus like where they were the first couple of weeks in the season. The QP, QB contact percentage, that's one that like I know is like not like the most – um like, you know, we t- tend to judge things in terms of like QB hits, QB – uh, you know, obviously sacks, but like their QB contacts, like just getting around the quarterback and frustrating yeah. him jumped 9% since Montez Sweat's arrival uh, five, six weeks ago now. And, you know, the pressure rates up from 22.6% to 29%, like all of these things then are helping the back end of the defense are, are trans transforming this unit into what, the principle into like playing into those principles of what makes a good Tampa two defense that's predicated on takeaways. And if they can continue to do that, then they'll be in a good position, no matter who the quarterback, no matter what offense they're playing against, like that's gotta be their staple that carries over regardless of opponent week to week, because it, it, it is working like that, you know, the buy-ins there, it is working and they're starting to see the return on their investment of all of these moves that they made. And certainly the one that, you know, stands out the most is Montez sweat, but like Jalen Johnson's balling right now, how that's, this is going to affect things. I think in a big way, I'm, I think he's headed for the franchise tag. I think it's the obvious decision here. Yeah. Um, but he's playing like the best, cor- one of the best corners right now in the NFL and four picks now this season for him. Yeah. And he could have had a couple more if he just would have like, you know, held onto the ball. Like that's pretty remarkable for like, he set out to do this at the beginning of the season. He's doing it right now. What these next four games could mean to him in his future is um, 
something to watch. Yeah, and I think that that's a great transition point there, right? Because, you know, Jalen Johnson talked about before, you know, I'm not looking to reset the DB market. I'm not looking to reset mm-hmm. uh, uh, to, to, to be the top paid DB because I know the things that I haven't done in my career. Me and you both sat here. We talked about how he's great at so many different things, but he doesn't have the takeaway numbers. Yeah. Well, you don't pay DBs who don't have the takeaway numbers. He's got the takeaway numbers now. Now yeah. we're talking about Jalen Johnson. If he finishes out the season on the pace he's on in, what would this be, eight weeks, basically, from, from the time that this started to the end mm-hmm. of, of acquiring sweat, where... You're talking about Jalen Johnson possibly being somebody leaving this the 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 season with six to seven interceptions in eight weeks. That's the top DB in the NFL. How do the Chicago Bears get him back to the table? Because we know he's not going to negotiate anything here. Or is this ship sailed? You kind of just got a franchise tag. I think it's like a franchise it tag. I think yeah. it's got to be. And, and you you do have time at that point, like till the July deadline to work out a long-term deal. Maybe after they handle a few other things in free agency, they can do that. But to me, it's it's the obvious answer here. Like he's a cornerstone of your defense. You yeah. don't ever let players like that walk out the building, no matter how you feel about the young corners that have come along. And that was a good insurance policy to get – Terrell Smith to obviously get another, you needed another outside corner and Tyreek Stevenson, who's had a good year, even though it's been up and down at points. Like he's really come along these last couple of weeks. Um, I think it's, it's a good spot to be in. And this is, this is a defense that averaged, I think 0.9 takeaways per game. The first 10 weeks of the season to be where they are three the last game, four the game before that, four the game before that, nine interceptions since week 10. You know, they've got 15 this season. That's second in the league. Yeah. Like, this feels like, okay, you know, remember Eberflus's defense, like that final year he was in Indy, it was 2021, and like how good yeah. they were, like the, the turnover margin and where they were compared to other teams in the Shaq league. Shaq Leonard just punching everything out in sight. It just, it just feels like they're on the verge of getting to that level. Now, does that mean that everything else on the team is going to like rise with them? Maybe, maybe not. Right. But it just it makes things so complex and so intriguing about what this means for Flus in the offseason. Because his defense, yeah. the unit that he is solely responsible for, on top of being like the head coach of the entire team, but like that d- defense is playing their ass off right now, yeah. and how that's going to affect things going forward about his future, it's a direct correlation. A hundred percent. Like I think for me now with Flus, you're pre- you're talking about him coming back. Of course, this is a week to week business, right? Guess what? Jordan Love was a godsend two yeah. weeks ago. He was he was the next Brett Favre, the next Aaron Rodgers. He's got it figured out. This week now, after the game, people are like, oh, man, we're back in the quarterback draft. We got to start losing for draft compensation. Are we going to be able to get one of the top QBs? Like, I I just, I'm, I'm not going to say that maybe my feelings won't change until the end of the year. Four weeks is a lot of time. If it falls off a cliff, then maybe we're having a different conversation. But again, I go back to what we said about this team coming into the season. Can we play better? Can we improve on a three-win season? We have, and I believe that we're going to continue to improve. If you get to seven to eight wins, you're keeping Flus in the building. Mm -hmm. The defense all of a sudden has turned a corner that we didn't expect, but we said that they could play that. Are they in the hunt? Yes, they're in the hunt. Can they do enough to get in the playoffs? That's going to be based on a lot of other teams having like collapses. But if you win out or get close to winning out, let's say they get to nine or eight or seven. That means in the final part of the season, you went nine and four, eight and five, seven and six. That is improvement during the season. I can't take that away from Matt Eberflus. And, and, you know, if you, if you get to that level of play, like he's going to be here. The question, and it's still going to be my question off season, next season, whatever it is, if he is here, is he the guy that I want as my head coach or my DC. There's yeah. some things as a head coach. Okay. Yeah, you did some things. I, I commend you for keeping your team together. I commend you for having your team still fighting in this moment. Cause there's a lot of teams that four and eight, they would have given up. But I also put a lot of that on the fact that you got your defense to buy in. And I knew you could do that because you're a defensive coordinator. That was a good defensive coordinator when you showed up here. Yeah. And it's going to sting that much more. Like, let's say they do, 
win a couple more games here down the stretch and they would have, you know, damn, if we would have taken care of business against Detroit the first time, if we would have taken care of business against Denver, if they could have just beaten Minnesota, all the woulda, coulda, shouldas are going to come in there. And and that regret can't really dictate anything that they're going to do going forward. Like this is not, I know it's a week to week league, but decisions aren't made in a week to week vacuum. Yeah. But those are the things that they're going to have to figure out. Okay. What changed from those moments where we were so close to the moments where things tipped in their favor and figure out if that is a coaching decision, if that's a coaching thing that you know falls back on coaching, if that's just players, you know, playing, you know, if there was any tweaks that were made to like what they were asked to do, all of those factors into it, you know, a complex decision. Like I know a lot of Bears fans out there are like, no way. Cause like I- I've seen the comments on the story that I wrote today, be like, no, this is an easy, it's an easy thing. Like you can't look at Flus these final five games. Like, what about yeah. like the first you know, the first five, six weeks of the season. Like they start out 0 and four, like you know, yeah. two coaches were fired, like all these other things that happened under his watch. That's what makes this evaluation so intriguing and why the Bears in the situation where you just mentioned, like, do you want him as your head coach? Would you want him as your DC? There's no way that they can go ahead and be like, Well, we like you, Matt, as a DC, but we're gonna bring in somebody. Like, there's no way. There's those zero are, way those that, that my, would happen. Those are my favorite like, things ever. When it's just like he's what he should do if he values winning, step down, become the DC, take a six not. million dollar pay cut, and they go on and win. It's like who find me that coach that's done that. Find yeah. me that guy. That's that's funny. <laughs> um, but no, I mean it's you know, it all starts again like this, you know, these next four weeks I feel are going to be kind of tenuous in the sense that there's so much riding just in the sense of like the, you know, it's there's really no gray area. It's wins or losses. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, if you see regression in any area, you know, that's going to incite panic among this fan base and among people like looking at the team. Whereas I do think that there has been a lot of good over the last five to nine, you know, five wins in their last nine games there's still a lot that can be improved upon fields talked about it after the game that there were a couple throws that he really really wanted back and oh yeah you know there's there's a lot of growth that's like this team is not arrived by any stretch although they do have one of the best defenses playing currently in the nfl let's see how they are these next four games before you're ready to like crown them um but they gosh they you can't deny that what they're building towards right now when they say when they've been preaching the same message over and over again, and then you actually start to see it come to fruition, that that's a cool thing to see, regardless of you know how big the wins are, how close is the loss are. Like to actually see progress when they keep telling you that there's progress being made is, I think, good for any case on this, you know, of any coach on this team. Is we've talked about this a little bit um, on the podcast a couple of times, but with where the Bears are at now, now winning continuing to move in the right direction, if that does continue, you still are in a position where, because of how the NFL is, you might end up with two top 10 draft picks. Even winning nine games, they still might end up with two top 10 draft picks. That's how wild the NFL is, right? Carolina is... Carolina. That I don't yeah. even know what to say about what they're doing out in no, Carolina. I think, the Bear, I think the Bears can safely like progress forward knowing that that pick is going to be theirs. 100%. Um... Where are you now with Ryan Poles? Is he the GM of the future? Because there was that random talk for a while there that Kevin Warren might want to take over more. He might want to do more. I feel comfortable with him as the GM of the Chicago Bears. I, and, I, and I've said that all along. I yeah. I was not sure about Flues. I'm still not sure if what like what they're going to do. I've never felt that Ryan Poles was in danger or is in danger of not being here next year as the GM. I think he's too aligned with Kevin Warren and insulated by that relationship that he's going to get his chance to either draft his guy or, you know, make a a franchise altering move by moving on from that number one pick and using that draft capital you get to build around Justin Fields. Like I just don't see any situation where he's not here next year to be able to see this through because you're starting to see his roster decisions pay off. You're starting to see the construction of this team pay off. Why on earth would you pull the rug out from under that at the end of the season to go a different direction? Do you feel like there's a, because the talk on the hot seat has kind of been attached to CJ Stroud's success, right? You had him there. You could have got him. You didn't take him. You went Darnell Wright. Fine. Mm -hmm. I I love it. Uh, I love Darnell Wright. But do you feel like if there's another CJ Stroud and the Bears don't go that direction, then the stove starts to turn up. Of course. Absolutely. I mean, like, 
there's still a lot that's it isn't decided just because of what the last three games that Justin Fields is the answer in 2024. 100%. He may have yeah. a great rest of the year and they still trade him. They that may still very well happen because you can't pass up the rookie wage scale of restarting that clock on a quarterback. And you can't p- pass up getting your own guy in here, no matter what you feel. And maybe maybe the Bears are thinking in the front office, this is great. This is great. Well, this is going to drive the price up for Justin Fields. We'll trade him somewhere, and we'll be able to move on with what we want to do. And maybe maybe they do need a fresh start for, for him. Maybe this is just going to work the next couple of weeks, and at the end it will be better for everybody else to involve, to, to branch off and do their own separate thing. But I don't. I don't think that like the idea that like, oh man, just because Eberflus may stay based on what we've seen, that that means that, you know, Fields is also here, you know, you know, linking those two together does make sense, but it's the front office's decision of whether they're going to move on and go use that number one pick on a quarterback, which oftentimes if you're in that situation with as good of a draft class as this one appears to be, it's very hard to pass up on that, but there's no denying that Justin and how well he's played has complicated matters. Like it would have been an easy decision if he stunk, they could have just been like, all right, like, you know, we're thinking about 2024. It's the obvious decision. They're going to move on, but that's not the case. Yeah. It's, I think the, the tough part about that to me is right. Like I'm on the other side of it where if you trade away, Justin Fields, you take the stove from two to eight. Mm-hmm. Cause now it has you to start. Work. Yeah, you're, you're now starting he all had, over. Whoever you pick, set the clock back on like, oh man, you got to start over another two years. How quickly yeah. can this thing get on the right track? When it's showing signs right now of getting on the right track, do you want to quickly pivot at the end of the season and then be like, all right, well now that you got your your guy in here, yeah. how quickly can he deliver? When you just when you, when Justin clearly inevitably would have been further along at the end of his Bears time if it does end after three years and a new rookie quarterback coming in and i think right like now you're putting this guy on a all right you better be cj stroud the second you step on the field you you better be franchise aldry right because we all thought texans are a four-win team five-win team this year and they come Mm -hmm. out and surprise the heck out of you with how the young quarterback plays and all of a sudden the offense looks good the offensive line looks good right things are moving in the right direction you got to have that impact that season to me, even a rookie season or not, because you moved on, like you said, That's from a guy who, who over his last 18 games, 26 tutties, 12 picks, eight of them rushing touchdowns, 92 pass rating, 3,100 yards, 4,000 total yards, right? Including rushing. Mm-hmm. That's 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 improvement, right? Like yeah. we talk about with flus, like we've talked about with Getsy, different things like that. That's improvement. Sure. And so... I, I, I can see both sides happening. Y'all know how I am, right? I'm cheering for whoever's under center. I'd I'd tweet out, you know, go kill him, Mitch, before every freaking Bears game, and then you know he'd kill me. Uh, he did he did a lot of what he did in uh, in in Pittsburgh. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're gonna see, man. Um, there's there's a lot there's a lot of football left here, and a lot of impactful football for left sure. here, and uh, it doesn't end with the Lions win, but. Appreciate you as always, Courtney. Hit that like button, subscribe to the page, leave that five-star review. Y'all know what to do. It's your boy, Path of Designer, back at it again. Another episode of Chicago Bears podcast in the books. Y'all stay safe out there, Chicago. Bird done. Peace.